Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thursday, June 4th, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined as always by our tribe beat writer, Paul Hoynes. Paul, uh, lots going on, not just in baseball, but really in, in the world and in our, in our country right now. There's a lot to chew on, and it, it really uh, revolves around nothing, that, nothing to do with baseball, bigger sort of more important things that that we need to address, I think, before before we do another segment on anything related to the game, we need to address the the racial issues and the the inequality and the injustice and just the environment that our country is facing right now uh, due to the the death of George Floyd at the hands of uh, police officers in Minnesota and the subsequent protests that have been going on for almost a week now here uh, throughout the country. We, we've seen a lot in Cleveland. We've seen a lot around the state of Ohio. And, and, and just your impressions and your thoughts of the way that baseball and baseball players have reacted to this massive story and, and situation. It's, uh, you know, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it, uh, Joe. I, um, you know, I've, I've covered a lot of labor disputes between the owners and players, but never like this, number one, like this with the backdrop of what's going on, the pandemic, the unemployment, and now, you know, George Floyd, <clears throat> you know, and the, and, the, and the protests and the riots that have been going on for the mostly protests, I should say, you know, for the last over a week. I mean, it's, and, you know, you, you just realize that, hey, baseball is only a game. <laughs> let's, let's try to get the country right. Let's try to really, you know, get along with one another and, and really work at this because it's a problem and it's a problem that's not going away. It's going to be, it's going to keep surfacing. And, you know, I always, you know, when, uh, when Kaepernick took a knee, I, I, a long time, you know, several years ago, I, people asked me about it and I, and I, I was, a, I, I said, you know, I don't blame him at all. I don't think he's protesting the flag. He's protesting, you know, his brothers and sisters getting shot when they're unarmed by killed by police. And, and I always wondered what the end result of that would be. And we're seeing it now. It took a long time to bubble to the surface, but 
you know, I, I never thought he was wrong about doing that. Now, you know, you know, you know, take, you know, the byproduct of protests is always seems to be riots and, and looting. And I, I, I have no, no tolerance for that, but I understand the frustration. I, I'm not a black man. I, I don't, I can't say that I, you know, I don't know what it feels like to, you know, walk down a street and, and, and have people, you know, cross the street and, and on, to get to the other side of the street. But, you know, I sympathize with them. I, I, tr- I, I understand what's going on. And, and I think one of the biggest things to come out of this whole discussion, and we've seen a lot on social media, and we've seen a lot uh, in, in the news reporting of, of these protests and demonstrations is, it might not just be enough to, to, to sympathize right now. It's, it's a call to action. It's, it's a lot of the, the, the players that we cover, the, the folks that we interact with are now coming out and saying, it's not just enough to sit by, by and say, you know, I'm, I'm your ally. I, I agree with everything that you're doing. Specific change needs to come from this by our actions. And, you know, all of us have the the duty right now to to vote in, in in elections, and whether that's the presidential election in November or local elections before that, uh, the change won't happen until we vote people out of office and change the power structure so that things like this don't happen. Uh, and that 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 really is sort of what I'm taking away from all this, and what I'm choosing to take away from all this, and and choosing to show my son as, as he asks questions about this is that it's not just enough to, to sit by and, and say, you know, I, I, I support the movement. We need to do something. We need to put our boots on the ground and get out there and, and get our hands dirty. Yeah. I thought that's a great point, Joe. I thought, uh, you know, we're waiting for our president to uh, calm the waters here. That's not going to happen. You know, I, but, and I thought, Everybody was waiting for that speech, you know, the one somebody to say that one speech that would calm things down and unite the country. I thought the guy that made the, the best speech was was it was Terrence Floyd, you know, uh, the brother of, yeah. of who had just seen his brother die. He, he went to the place in Minneapolis where his brother was killed and, and, and it's, he called for unity. He called for peace. He called. You know, he said, if you want changes, if you want to change something, vote. Don't riot. Don't loot. Vote. And and ultimately, that's the power we all have. Right. Uh, as far as what we are tasked with covering and, and reporting on as baseball writers, uh, just the response from Major League Baseball, which a lot of people criticized because it was so delayed. Uh, also didn't mention anything about police brutality at, at all. Specifically, the, the word police wasn't in there. Uh, the, each team also coming out with statements uh, supporting, you know, those who, the, the Black Lives Matter movement and, and things of that nature. Uh, the Indians then came out uh, yesterday with their own version of a, a statement on the death of George Floyd. Uh, a lot of people chimed in and, and, and criticized that because you, you have a, an organization here that uh, for, for years had had a, uh, what was considered a racist logo in Chief Wahoo, uh, that the name of the, fran- of the team, the Indians, uh, considered by some to be uh, 
extremely racist and insensitive. Uh, but then this is also the franchise that that was sort of a, a pioneer and a and a a leader in in the movement of of helping to advance minorities as well. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts on the Indians being sort of uh, in a, in, a, in a weird, awkward situation in trying to respond to the death of George Floyd? Yeah, that's that's a good question, Joe. I, I thought they <clears throat> I thought they owned it. I thought they owned it in that that statement. They said, you know, we have, we have basically had a long and complicated history in, in you know, in, in, in dealing with racism in, in our country. Like you said, they, they, they brought in uh, uh, Larry Doby in 1947, first black player in the American League. Frank Robinson, uh, first black manager in 1997. You know, Satchel Paige, they opened the door to... So, you know, Jackie Robinson obviously opened the door in 47, but the Indians opened the door in the American League to, 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 to uh, bring in black and, and, and play black players. And now you, and then, then at the same time, they were having, you know, they, they had Chief Wahoo on their uniform in some form or fashion for over 70 years. You know, I thought they owned that. I, I thought, uh, you know, other than that, I thought it was a, you know, it's what all teams should do, a call to action. They called out police brutality. They called out, you know, they also said, you know, you can't just talk about this. You know, you've got to, you've got to, like you were saying, you've got to put boots on the ground. You've got to become an agent of change and, you know, and, and become and, and, and talk to, they talked about their game, their game, the game of baseball, bringing, bringing the city and people together. And, and I think, you know that that works. It's probably kind of uh, it's it's not at this time. It's kind of you know it's going against a uh, you know you're, you're screaming into the wind though because mm-hmm. of what the owners and players how they they're they're still negotiating in with this uh, you know this backdrop this tsunami of events that have engulfed our country. Right. It's it, it, it's a weird time to be talking for the Indians to be talking about racism and, and social justice when the the owners and the players are squabbling over you know millions of, of dollars in salary it, it's awkward uh individually for the players uh we've seen a lot of response on social media uh particularly from uh players like shane bieber who is, is quickly positioning himself and becoming a a leader among the the players even though he's he's only got a few years under his belt of, of major league service time uh, he's he's posted many things on social media and, and you know aligning himself with the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, Mike Clevenger had a, a really heartfelt sort of long post on Instagram yesterday where he detailed his experiences growing up in Jacksonville, you know, running with with groups of of you know black friends who, when they would go out and play basketball, they would be harassed, and and his experiences just seeing that kind of mistreatment. Uh, uh, of, of his friends. Um, there are countless examples up and down uh, the Indians roster of, of guys who are, are speaking out and calling to action. Uh, Francisco Lindor, particularly on his Instagram posts has, has shared a lot of black lives matter uh, content and just showing his position on the, the subject. So really when, when it comes down to it, when these players eventually do get back together, when they are finally in the same clubhouse together, uh, 
it, is this a, an opportunity for for them to come together and, and have a discussion and 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 really be more unified over things like this? I think it is, Joe. But you know, you've been in the Indians clubhouse as much as I have. I I, I really I think you know baseball in itself. You know what what. Uh, you know, minorities make up maybe 40%, 30, 35 to 40% of the players in baseball. So, you know, I don't think that's probably as big a problem as, as, or if it, I don't think that's a problem. I think uh, it's something to talk about. You know, what I think about, you know, in 2016, when at, during the playoffs, and I think during the postseason, uh, when Terry Francona said, you know, he was, there was some, you know, he, he, he was worried about uh, the inner city youth in Cleveland and he, uh, he wanted to uh, do something and he talked to the team and, you know, and he talked to the organization and, and, and like, like overnight they raised over a hundred, you know, a million dollars for the Larry Doby fund and donated it to, uh, you mm-hmm. know, the Cleveland uh, a youth uh, facility. And so I, I think, you know, when, when you have a, when you have a leader like that, I, I don't think, I think it's worth talking about, I, but I do not, you know, perceive it as a problem. I don't think, you know, race is a problem in, 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 the, in the Indians locker room. I, I don't think it's a problem in terms of the team chemistry, but I, I do think it, it's, it's foolish to think that racism isn't a problem in baseball. It, it, it certainly, it, it permeates all parts of society. Uh, it's as widespread as the coronavirus at this point. I, I think, and, and it's just as catchy and it's just as dangerous. So uh, I, don't, I don't think you can separate the two. I think the game is always going to have some element. It, you look back at history, there was a, a time when baseball was as reflective of our nation in terms of its, its attitudes towards race, and, and it wasn't very positive. So you're talking about the Jackie Robinson times and, and what Jackie Robinson and Larry Doby experienced coming up. Uh, it, it's not a, a, a great, you know, history, uh, the game doesn't, but it also has the ability to change, you know, our, our national narrative on that, that sort of thing. So uh, I'm, I'm sort of looking forward to, if we ever do get back to games, just how, how baseball can, can help sort of ease tensions and ease this country back into loving itself again, basically. Uh, it, it'll go a long way if, if, if we ever get to that point. Yeah, I think the Indians, through their statement, made that pretty clear that they're, they're going to, you know, they're not, they're not going to just talk the talk. They're going to walk the walk. And I think they have the players that are, would be willing to do that. I think, uh, you know, their roster is much more reflective of the city than of the city of Cleveland, you know, just mm-hmm. uh, the makeup of it. And, uh, you know, baseball, you know, has done a decent job bringing minorities into into the teams, hiring minorities, uh, you know, in the scouts and and uh, the coaches. Um, maybe not not managerial. Probably is still managers is still a, a slippery slope in in some cases. Uh, the front off, you know, there's studies that have been done that have, that have given Major League Baseball high grades for. Uh, you know, hiring minorities, and they they pointed out a couple of, you know, areas where they need to get better is uh, obviously in the baseball operations department. Mm-hmm. That that seems to be a uh, 
you know, general managers and stuff like that. That that can that can uh, improve, but uh, you know, it, overall, obviously, you know, in in the when Jackie Robinson came into baseball, they baseball led the way of society. They mm-hmm. they were a leader, and uh, you know, to reclaim that position and to, or, or just to extend that position, you they've got a you know, they've got a lot of work to do. And I think, but I think they're, they're capable of doing that. All right. Well, uh, you know, let's, let's step away from the, the discussion about race in our country and in in the game of baseball and, and move on to some more news, uh, not newsworthy, but newsy topics uh, to deal with today. We we've seen a report from Bruce Levine on Twitter. Uh, Bruce Levine, a, a White Sox broadcaster, I believe. Oh, he's a reporter more, reporter. radio reporter in Chicago. Been there a million years. White okay. Sox, Cubs. Uh, I'm sure Bruce would appreciate that characterization. <laughs> uh, he, he said that announcers will not travel. Uh, radio and TV announcers will not travel with the teams if baseball comes back uh, at some point this summer, uh, at least initially is the thought. But uh, your – Tom Hamilton, Jim Rosenhaus, Matt Underwood, Rick Manning, uh, presumably Andre Knott as well. You will not be seeing them in opposing ballparks this year reporting on the Indians or doing play-by-play. They'll be at home in home ballparks or in a studio somewhere calling games from monitors remotely. Yeah, uh, you know, I talked to somebody in, in MLB, in the MLB offices, and they confirmed that. Uh, and that, like you said, Joe, they said uh, the early part of the season, at least the early part of the season, if depending how long the season is, that uh, that they would, you know, that the announcers would not be traveling with the team just to cut down on the uh, exposure to the virus to them and and possibly, you know, their interactions with players and and the coaching staff. And uh, I was told that the Yankees might not do might cover home games that way home and road games that way. You know, they, you know, a lot of announcers are, I shouldn't say this. I'm, I'm as old as some, a lot of the announcers. I was going to say that, that you, fit the, you fit the target demographic. For yeah, the yeah. And a lot of announcers do fit that time that, you know, that, uh, that, that age bracket where the virus, uh, you know, is, is most likely to strike. And uh, that's another reason that, that they, the, you know, some guys aren't traveling. Right. Well, interesting that the Yankees broadcasters might do it from a studio or from a remote location, not even at Yankee Stadium. That's that seems like a drastic step as well. Uh, yeah, it 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 presents its own sort of complications, I guess. But we've been watching Korean baseball uh, broadcast by ESPN commentators from overseas for the last three weeks now, three, four weeks now. So. I, I mean, I guess it, it can be done. There is a roadmap for it. It's just not going to have the same feel, I guess. It, it, it will be uh, a little a little different. Uh, uh, but again, we're, we're, we're longing for, we're yearning for hearing Hammy say swing and a drive. You know, we need to hear that at, at some point, whether it's from a studio or from the press box. I, I, I think we'll take it either way. It's going to be like Bull Durham, you know, when they <laughs> we were doing the, the the Durham Bulls games on the road and from the radio, the from the wire, they're reading double the right, and the kid hits hits the bat to a piece of wood. Yeah, and clicking a block of wood to yeah, to, yeah. And and I think they turn up like a they had like fake crowd noise too that they turned up when they did that. So 
Uh, funny, you know, and we've talked to both Tom Hamilton and Jim Rosenhaus on, on this podcast in the last month, and, and they expressed, you know, they, they said both times, Hanny said, it's going to be weird, it's going to be different, and he went into detail about how he, he's worried about being in the press box, being in the broadcast booth, no fans in the stands, and just the way that that's going to sound, uh, he'll be able to be heard by the players on the field during the game, that that could be weird and uh, could be a potentially awkward situation for him. Yeah, he could get kicked out of the game if he's, uh, <laughs> if he's, if he's giving the umpire a hard time. Well, he specifically mentioned Angel Hernandez, and I think <laughs> you're talking about the one guy who's got the shortest fuse in, uh, in baseball in terms of the umpires, but definitely uh, something to keep an eye on. It, the other thing, it, it, the other point it brings up to me is, you know, they've, they've got plans in place already for if we get a decision, if we get an agreement between the players and the owners, so they've already gone through protocols about what broadcasters will do. Is there a schedule in place that we don't know about? We haven't heard. Is that going to leak out ahead of time? Is this a negotiating tool maybe? Uh, hey, hey, they've got a plan in place for the, for the broadcasters. So they must have plans about other things as well, right? Yeah, I'm sure they've got plans A, B, C, and D. They, they've had nothing to do but plan and negotiate and drive people crazy for, you know, since opening day was canceled. And uh, so the, I'm sure these guys have got – they're just waiting for the players and owners to shake hands and they're going to press a button and there's going to be 14 things coming out every day to how they're going to set the season up. Owners and players shaking hands is not something I think that we're, <laughs> we're going to see anytime <laughs> soon. They might come to an agreement, but it might be one of those ones where they've got their, uh, their teeth clenched. They're going to bump, they'll bump elbows. They can't shake hands. Oh, yeah, they can't even shake hands. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. All right, uh, one thing else, the, the only other thing I wanted to cover today and, and, and get a chance to uh, get your take on this, uh, because today is, I believe, the 47th anniversary of uh, Cent Beer Night, 46th or 47th anniversary of Cent Beer Night at the stadium. And just in researching a post that I put up just to remind folks, a history post to remind folks of that event back in 1974 at, uh, at Municipal Stadium, uh, I found out that I didn't even realize that the two teams had fought on the field in Arlington six days before this, this happened. So, uh, Paul, I, I believe you were at the game. What, what was your experience? You weren't there covering the game. Were you? you were there as a – as a long-haired hippie out in the outfield. <laughs> yeah, I was Mike Starkey, former uh, PD sports editor, uh, and and me were in the in the bleachers with a bunch of Starkey's buddies from Painesville, and uh, we were we were we were drinking as much ten cent beer as we could. Oh my god! There at, at the old I don't know if you remember Joe at the old at the old stadium, there that big scoreboard was right you know on the back of the bleachers, and there was a ladder kind of a ladder embedded in the front of the scoreboard and some guy climbed up there and shot a moon. And that's, that's when I knew that, that things were, things were going out of hand. Well, like, there, there were multiple instances of nudity in the stadium that yeah, night. there uh, were streakers running across the field during the game. <laughs> there was a lady who, who ran on the field and pulled up her shirt, uh, you know, flashed yeah. the crowd that way. Uh, a father and son duo mooning in the outfield there. And now it you're saying crazy. That there was a guy mooning from the, uh, from the scoreboard. That 
Now, you stayed fully clothed at the time, correct? <laughs> yes, I okay. did. No one wanted, but and I stayed in the stands. But but I just watched it, and you know, it was kind of you could feel like the momentum of the game building because the the number of people that were running across the field kind of increased at inning by inning by inning, and that, that was just a madhouse. People were all over the field. It was crazy. Well, so Mike Hargrove was playing for Texas at the time. He was on the field. And when Billy Martin, the manager for the Rangers uh, that night, uh, led the, the folks that led the, the Rangers out onto the field with baseball bats to sort of confront these fans who were uh, who had knocked down the right fielder or uh, it looked like they had knocked down the right fielder, Jeff Burroughs. Uh, what, what did you see at that point when you saw, you know, the, the team emerge from the dugout with bats? Yeah, I just, I just, I was just up there and uh, in the bleachers, and it was just, you know, I don't remember that part. I, I just remember the the whole field was like packed with with fans, and I remember them, you know, forfeiting the game, and uh, you know, Paul Tepley, the the great uh, Cleveland press photographer. I think somebody, somebody either punched him or pulled a knife on him during that during that crazy during the riot during what was going on on the field. It was. It was well, it was crazy. Then, and 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 Billy Martin what, what said, "Hey, these guys just can't drink, handle it. You know, they can't drink a, a good glass of Stroh's beer. They can't handle it. Can't but, handle their can't handle their liquor." Well, really, Martin was the one who sort of sort of set the whole thing off in the first place. After the brawl in Arlington, he comes out and he's got some some flippant comments in the the media after the game, just saying. You know, hey, I'm not worried about going to Cleveland uh, next week because they don't have enough fans to to make us worry about it. And then Pete Franklin gets on the radio for the next six days yeah, yeah. and just incites violence over the airwaves by saying, "We'll show uh, we'll show Billy Martin, uh, you know, is something to be worried about." Uh, I guess is, is is the way that that went. Yeah, I remember uh, reading the Plain Dealer before that series started, and they had a picture of Chief Wahoo, you know, a drawing of Chief Wahoo. Probably Dick Dugan drove it. Draw, drew it and he holding a pair of boxing gloves and, <laughs> and so he would but uh, but I, and I remember you know uh, either talking to uh, Hal Leibovitz or listening to him somewhere or reading something about him he said that was one of his biggest regrets you know kind of inflaming that you know pushing mm-hmm. that that series and having it turn out the way it did you know with the drawing of Chief Wahoo with the boxing gloves and all that. Well, twelve people arrested sort of overwhelmed the uh, the the security force there. The Indians had actually come back and rallied in the ninth inning. They scored two runs and tied the game when when the whole sort of the the final straw broke the camel's back and everybody was on the field. It was it was five five, but the Indians wound up forfeiting the game because it, so really, if you look in the box score, it should read nine nothing, right? Right. That, yeah. That's, what a, that's what a forfeit should be. It's a, a nine nothing game. Uh, I didn't even real. I didn't even realize they tied the game. <laughs> yeah, they they came back. I think it was a either a sack fly or a RBI double with with like two outs in the ninth inning. They they tied the score, and then right after that, that's when uh, Jeff Burrows got his his hat stolen, and uh, the after that, it was pretty much on. So, that uh, was crazy. Yeah, crazy times, and you know just. Thinking about all the all that's going on in across the country with protesters and demonstrations, and you know, people having the the the, the right to sort of 
uh, riot and violate, uh, you know, and, and, and protest in that way. This just seems sort of trivial and sort of funny to, to bring up at this point, but it's just a weird coincidence that, you know, back in 1974, people were out on the field running around bashing in, uh, and, and getting pummeled by Mike Hargrove on the, on the first baseline, I think would be, uh, 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 certainly a memory for a young Indians fan at the time. Yeah, you don't want to. You didn't want to mess with Grover back then. He was. He had a bad temper. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Paul. Uh, hopefully, I. You know, I. I don't know if, if this podcast or anything that we said at the beginning of of, of this sort of half hour, um, is is really going to make a, a lot of difference to any sort of people. But it's some. It's a conversation that definitely needs to be had over and over again and to ignore it and to not have that conversation does nobody any good. So, uh, you know, let's just try to keep it all in mind and in perspective and in focus as, as we continue on over the next couple of days, couple of months, and, and hopefully it, it, people's behavior starts to change and, and we get back to, you know, the, the nation and the country and the America that we sort of hope that we could be. Yeah, like you said, Joe, you can't just talk about it. You got to do something. You got to put boots on the ground. You got to vote. And you got to respect your neighbors. You know, just respect, you know, respect other people. All right. All right, Paul. Uh, Again, we'll uh, look forward to talking to you tomorrow on the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast.